Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Good morning and welcome to my favourite time of the week. And I'm very fortunate this week as part of the Inspiring Leadership series to have Lieutenant General Robert Baxter, CBE. And Robert has had a fascinating career. We knew each other many years ago when he was the squadron commander of 24 Mobile Brigade Headquarters and Signal Squadron. That's quite a mouthful. But Robert has done a whole range of things from beginning life as a young Royal Signals officer to finishing as the Master of Signals, but doing a whole variety of fascinating jobs, such as Deputy Chief of Defence Staff for Health, but also the Commandant of the Royal Military College of Science, also being a Chief of Staff for an Armoured Brigade, which is a tough role for anybody, being uh, an instructor at, the, at Camberley, at the, uh, the Staff College. So a range of really interesting things. Now living in the Highlands and, and, and still dabbling in many different businesses and certainly technology. Robert, welcome. It's great to have you on the uh, on the series. And good to be with you, Jonathan. Thank you. And um, tell us a little bit about sort of what you, as you look back and, and take a view on your career, how would you view it, those, those different phases of your leadership uh, in your career? I think they're broadly three chunks. They obviously overlap and segue one into the other. And at the end of it, when I left the service, I almost went back to the beginning again, which is always a nice place to be. I guess you start off with uh, the follow me yeah. phase. Yeah. Where you have a small group of people, uh, they know you, which can be a bad thing, and you know them, which is always an interesting thing. And the tasks are relatively simple. And provided you're not completely stupid and you lead them in a good direction, you say, follow me, and they do tend to follow you. Uh, people seem to like to do that. Yeah. And that's simple and you learn about people. So that's phase one. Phase two things start to get a little bit bigger and you have to start to delegate. Uh, you have to really start trusting people. Mm. And that, that's a bit of a, a bit of a, an ask sometimes. And it is a bit more, you know, you do this, you do that. Um, you check up on people. You have to start to be structured. Uh, you start to think a bit more strategically, I guess. You try and zoom out, take the big picture. In. Um, and then the final phase, which has in some ways been the most interesting has been the nudge, persuade um, phase where you really aren't directly appointed. In most of one's certainly service career, you are appointed as a leader, commander. You start off with your commission from the Queen that tells you various things you have to do. Um, you're then appointed into a role. We might come and talk about how you're actually put into a position. You don't create something that's very different in a startup where you start to select people you work with and so on, which again, very different. But this sort of persuade nudge uh, phase has been very interesting because you really do have to get your head around other people. You know, what is it? You know, yeah. What flicks the switches? Yeah. Three phases. Very, very interesting. And it, in all these different phases, and, and now you're working a lot with sort of startups and, uh, and is back to the hands-on again. Um, as you think of people who've inspired you during your career and who you've learned from, qualities you've taken and, and aspired to inspire others, 
Who would be the people you'd talk about? Probably two categories. Um, category one of the people who were interested in the profession of arms, in our profession, uh, my profession, uh, who studied it, thought about it, debated it. You know, people like Rupert Smith, um, Christopher mm. Wallace. Yeah. Uh, so that's one group of people you know, who get their head around the profession. There's another group who, and your erstwhile boss was one of these, who trusted you and left you alone. Yeah. Get on with things. And that would be dear old John Griffin. Yeah. Would be fun. Uh, Christopher Wallace again in that category. Um, and a wonderful chap called uh, George Kennedy. Yes. yes. Uh, married to Sarah Kennedy of um, television fame at one yeah. stage. Yeah. And then married the uh, sort of some coffee company heiress. Yeah. But dear old George, or Uncle George, as the brigade called him, sort of let, basically said, let's everybody have a bit of fun. You know, whatever you can do with helicopters that might be useful, go and have a go. Yeah. Um, and he would balk at nothing. Um, uh, and that that sort of person is terrific to work for. Yeah. And you always try to, or I have tried, to emulate some of that by letting people have a bit of fun. Yeah. You know, throwing, throwing out a challenge that uh, hopes, hopes yeah. grips. And, and, that, and that did strike me when, when you were working for him. Your, your squadron, your air mobile squadron, of all the different squadrons in the regiment, had so much more fun and such a sort of can-do attitude. Rather sort of, dare I even say, a little cavalier. And, uh, yeah, you know, just we'll, we'll get there in the end, Jonathan. Because you, know, you were just getting on and doing the job for the brigade and your focus was on your client. And it was exactly, exactly right. And thinking back to all these different roles that you have had, we all make mistakes. And, and what was it that, you know, tell us a story of something where you made a mistake and what you learned from it, how that shaped you as a leader and how you, because we want, we've got people listening to this who are a whole range of backgrounds, some ex-military, some still in the military, but most are sort of from chairman, CEOs, board members, all the way down to people who aspire to be good leaders and just at the beginning of their careers, maybe post-university. What did you learn from a story about mistakes and what would be the tip? The biggest mistake I think I made uh, was when my judgment of someone proved to be completely false. I got the person wrong. And from that, it flowed a whole bunch of uh, errors. I trusted this particular person. And the sadness is there was somebody else in the organization who I didn't trust at the time but who I should have trusted. Yes. Who's that? Who was telling me the real stuff. And I trusted this other wretched person. Yeah. Um, and we had a rocky two or three months. Yeah. But fortunate. Uh, my boss at the time, I think it was Christopher Wallace, um, uh, they put, it, put the whole train set back on the rails. Yeah. It helped me, the train yeah. set back on the rails. And that was part of, I suppose, his overall trust in me. But it was really the failure of judgment. Yeah. And I think something. You, you can't give up. You always have to be checking. Yeah. Uh, not, not in a nasty, oppressive way, but you just need to be aware that, you know, sometimes people are very good at putting a mask on. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And you don't always see through it. Yeah. And so that's a lesson. Watch for masks. That's right. And, and it's, it's part of that book, um, you know, about white collar psychopaths. And, and, and they're both charming and believable and, and tell you what you, they think you want to hear. And, and I've, 
I've been caught out by a few over, over the years. How about uh, ending in the um, with a, a couple of your sort of top tips to to leaders at, at all levels? Things that you've practically found useful wisdom that perhaps people have given you or that you've learned. I, I think self awareness and awareness are two little bits. Um, I did some work when we were putting together the Commander Leadership Package at the Staff College. We came across a bunch of people at Ross and Y, run by the ex-training uh, major of 22 SAS, um, where their sort of motto was, no one control yourself before you start trying to lead others. And that really stuck, that uh, if, you don't, if you're not self-aware, so that when you enter the sort of the ecosystem of leadership, yeah. you have some idea of, how you're going to affect that connected system. Yeah. Self-awareness and then the wider awareness. It's the people you work with, people you're trying to lead, influence, nudge, whatever you want trying to do. If you don't have awareness to understand that when you are doing something, when you're interacting with their ecosystem, if you don't understand how you're impacting on them. And it is a bit of a, a try, you know, look, you know, observe, orientate, decide, act, the Luda loop that yeah, yeah. you that with people and if you don't do that uh, you come unstuck quite quickly yeah great advice uh, robert thank you very much for your time this has been um just the start we're going to have some more discussions which we're going to have later on as part of the podcast but just for the linkedin thank you very much for your time and, and also your wisdom and good luck in the highlands and islands and yes, uh, thank, you very much. thank you for for sharing been a pleasure a pleasure Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to our Inspiring Leadership Extra session uh, for the podcast with Lieutenant General Robert Baxter, CBE. And Robert, we were having a fascinating conversation early on about, about your career, but we were just skimming over the surface. Now is a, a bit of time to go in more depth, because people do find it interesting, that real story about people, successes, what you didn't do, what, what you got right, what you got wrong. And sort of who shaped your value system? What about early life? Where did you get the, the kind of values that you've now lived with and inspired others with? Where did it come from? Well, I've sort of had a fairly conventional school life, a bit of boarding school, um, and then weekly boarding towards the end. And I think it was when I started going and going to university and then doing work in the vacations and I'd done some diving. I'm very fortunate. Well, I'm mercenary, actually. When I was deciding which reserve unit, I went to the officer training corps because you got paid at the weekends to do stuff. And then I discovered that you could go parachuting and that gave you another four pounds a day or something taxable, of course. Then I discovered a wonderful little unit, um, Royal Engineer unit in a place called Grangemouth. Uh, 300 troop of the 131st Engineers Squadron Royal, Royal Engineers, uh, who did diving as well, and that was more pay. So it was a bit of a no-brainer, really. They <laughs> did diving, so wow, off I went. And uh, I went to command loosely a, a Royal Engineer diving unit at Kiel. I say command loosely. I happened to be you know, a very junior second lieutenant at the time. But there's a wonderful QMSI, quartermaster and son, major instructor called Ken Maybe, if I recall the main man's name, um, who had a lovely way of pretending that I was in charge, but it was actually quite clear. I wasn't qualified, although I'd done quite a lot of diving. I mean, it was a diving school and they had standards to meet and so on and so forth. And his patience with me 
I was bringing a thing called, I think it was an Admiralty barge that they used for diving. And it had one of these wonderful uh, steering devices. It was a sort of cut round the propeller. And I was doing a smart maneuver. I thought it was a smart maneuver. And the thing fell off. So I had absolutely no steerage at all. Um, and I thumped into this German patrol boat. <laughs> we shared a base. Um, and the Admiralty barges, those who know them, are, are very heavily constructed things. <laughs> And we made a little bit of a dent in this thing. And he sort of you know, dealt with the irate German captain and uh, all the rest of it. And everything was smoothed over. And other than when I came to depart at the end of my sort of two-month attachment, um, he didn't raise it again. But, of course, when I was when the farewell was going, he had a very good leg pull. But I had an equally good one to use. He got locked in the lavatory by his youngest daughter who was supposed to be going off to a dumping ground to look at some some ammunition that had been dropped there. Um, and he was late. And this was unheard of. So someone scuttled off. His wife had gone shopping and every little daughter had gone and flicked some, I don't know, outside of the laboratory thing and locked him in. And, you know, there was a song and a rhyme there, as you can imagine. That's brilliant. was a bunch of really good corporals. And it was just a a lesson in yeah. you know how to get on with well, completely different backgrounds. I think that was stage one, really, yeah. of beginning to... Well, uh, just, staying, just staying with that for a minute, um, it was very interesting. I had a great podcast, which is yet to be published, with um, Tim Evans. Um, oh, I don't know whether your paths crossed, crossed at all, but Tim began life on the O-type, the officer-type engagement, as a, was like a private soldier in a barrack room with some light infantry soldiers. And he said... <laughs> Those few months were were crucial to his respect for the junior NCOs and the power of junior NCOs and getting on with people from very different backgrounds because he was, you know, uh, a well-heeled boy from a from a boarding school as well. But he was suddenly immersed in this and learnt a lot. Do, do you find it was it was quite shaping shaping you as a leader those early days? Yeah. So the the, the unit I was a sapper. That's when I began two four double two nine zero four two was my number. Sapper Baxter, horrible thought. Um, so you were one of the lads, really. Yeah. Uh, they were a diverse bunch. There were people who had been chemists in the refinery at Grangemouth. You had people, the you know, plumber, electrician, um, dustbin man. Uh, you couldn't get a more eclectic collection than that, frankly. Um, and they were part-timers you know, who were sacrificing. You know, they had families. And they were putting a lot of themselves into it. And that just, it just took you, it, you went along with it. It was a small organization, which again, is, a, a, I think, a good place to, to start because there's nowhere to hide. You know, I think in large organizations, people can find a little, little nooks and crannies to park themselves. And that's not good for you, I think. Yeah. Always, being, always being there, people, and people trusted you when you were doing, say, demolitions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You knew all. You know, you're out there and you, you're trusting people, you know, not to connect the wires up to the plunger um, while you're out there doing something. And so you, you start to learn trust, and that that's really important. Yeah, yeah. And what else of, of other different roles that you had as, as an officer going through and even into into now working with tech startup companies? What, what would be some of the stories that you'd want to share that, that bring out good, inspiring leadership lessons for everybody else? 
I think I was very fortunate that throughout I've been involved in organisations where there's been change going on. Mm. And that perhaps makes it easier. I think trying to manage something that is static is probably more challenging. And I haven't been faced with that. Mm. So, you know, starting off in the 4th Guards Armoured Brigade, oh, right. it, yeah. it was about to be disbanded, yeah. playing with this thing called task forces, which was getting rid of a brigade level of command. Yeah. So all this was going on. Um, you again had a, a small organisation that you were working in and with so you couldn't hide, and you had change, and that was just terrific. And going on from there to uh, Northern Ireland, um, you know, during the the shooting part of the Troubles, yeah. again, both in uh, four-month tours and then residential tours there. Again, you were changing, you were doing work in counter-improvised explosive devices. You know, there was always a challenge, and you were working with people who wanted to rise to that challenge. Um, your client, your customer, the, the infantry battalions who were rotating through, you know, you wanted to make sure that they had absolutely the best communications, uh, the best electronic warfare equipment that they possibly could, and the money was there. So it was easy. It was easy. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and when you were dealing with so much change over the years, what have you done when you get uh, – you inherit a culture which is quite toxic and stuck and people don't want to change? I come across this a lot with the leaders and the teams that I work with, that They've got one or two people who are quite influential who resist change. How have you managed that? Um, one gets quite Machiavellian. Um, you find something useful for them to do. <laughs> uh, you sideline them. Uh, yeah. you know, it's quite difficult sometimes. I suppose you had this vision of I can go in, I'd sack him, her, whoever, and you actually summon. That can actually take a lot of time. And when you don't have time, you it probably sounds like the easy way out. Mm. As someone said, you know, you find them a job watering plastic Christmas trees. And it's probably not necessarily good for them. You could try and bring them round. Yeah. And, if, and if that just doesn't work, and if they aren't, if you can't inspire them, persuade them to do their, play their part in all of this, yeah. uh, then you just have to do something like watering yeah. plastic Christmas trees. Well, it, it, you remind me of uh, a general that uh, you both know, I, 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 we both know I've worked for, and his habit was to come in and fire one or two people within a week. I mean, literally, some of the most senior appointments below him, he just fired them, they were gone. And they, poor encourager les autres, uh, and, and people were then quite scared. And I don't personally, I wouldn't follow that style. I, I think there has to be a reason for it. And if you only have been there a few days, do you really know them? Um, and, and I don't think a fear-based culture is the way to bring the best out of them. But that's just my view. Um, conscious of time, we'll perhaps talk about this in a, in a moment. Should we just take a, take a break and then we'll come back after the break and we'll talk about uh, how, how you think that should be handled? Surely. Sure. So, General, we're just talking about um, some people have this sort of culture of fear and drive people and sack a few people to make the others work all the harder. What's been your experience of that kind of approach and, and what would be your response? Yes, I'm not keen on it. Uh, I've watched, as a signals officer, you, you can 
you can be a fly in the wall watching people's leadership styles or lack of them. Mm. And I've always found the, the ranters and ravers, unless sometimes with theatre you can, and it is theatrical, and they're getting a point across. That can sometimes work. But generally, I've ended up thinking, no, you know, you've, if you've lost your rag, if you've lost control, and we talked about control earlier, if you lose control of yourself mm. and start ranting and raving, uh, I, I think people just look at you and think, you know, he lost his heat, as they might say. <laughs> up here. Uh, and fear, I guess it can work up to a point. But when you have people and in the communications world and in lots of others, you're relying on people who are out of sight, out of your sight, out of your control, um, who you are relying on. And they can either do things very well, put the extra effort in and make things work, um, or they don't do go that extra mile. And there's possibly absolutely nothing you can do about it. And yeah, I'm not sure is a great is a great motivator, not in my toolkit, not yeah. in my kit. And have you found that um, sometimes, a bit like that, that example you gave earlier about uh, judgment, that sometimes uh, one leader said to me once, you know, about somebody that I was concerned whether they were right or wrong or what should I do about them? His question was, what is it you know now about them that you'll find out in 12 months' time? What, what does your yeah. gut tell you right now? I said, that they're not going to make it. He said, well, look, be, be firm in the decision, in the execution, in, in the decision to, to remove them, find them, their help them find their happiness elsewhere, was how he put it. Um, yeah. But then be kind in the execution. You know, let, let them leave with good grace uh, as they came in. I, I don't know what's been in your experience of how you've, uh, you've talked about watering uh, plants, plastic Christmas trees, but, but what, what else have you, what story else would you tell? I think... I found my first encounter with the civil service an interesting one. Yes, uh, a very different, a very different culture, and we had somebody who they had, they had a mental condition. It wasn't they, they were they, they were diagnosable with the condition, uh, and we spent a lot of time a getting them the support to deal with the underlying. Uh, medical condition and be just finding them something so they maintained a bit of self-esteem and encourage them to find something which they are up to doing in consultation with uh, the people, the psychiatrists and so forth, so that we found them a slot. And we spent a lot of time doing that. Uh, And I think that set, it wasn't just um, altruistic because it set a, a really rather good example to everybody else Mm. And we actually cared about them. I think that's, yeah. I don't want to be too touchy-feely. I mean, people would laugh if they thought that's what I was saying, if they know me. Uh, but I think that's important, that you are seen to be decent about things. Yeah, yeah. And it is interesting that, you know, many people would listen and go, well, here's a, a very experienced general, became the master of signals. You know, all he knows is the military culture. Well, that's, of course, not the case here with, you worked with, whether it be, Hungarians in multinational um, brigades and organizations. But but also lately, as you work with tech startups, I, I have a number of people I know and have discussions with who are CEO of tech companies, and they're all enthusiastic, and people have poured a huge wad of money in, and they're burning it up very quickly, hoping that they won't run out of money. 
and it's, yeah. it's all private equity and venture capital. You've got quite a bit of experience of that, and I, I was interested you in sharing about that, both the good and the bad in that world, and what to be wary of. Do you want to just share a bit on that? Well, you're back almost in that first phase of leadership that I talked about before. You're into a bit of the follow me. Uh, you're a group of people. The latest thing I'm involved in is environmental technologies. And a phone call out of the blue from someone I was at university and school with said, you know, are you up for this? You know, we're both in our 60s. And I said, yes, you know, it sounds really interesting. What, you, what we're proposing is really to become a, a technology integrator of environmental technologies yeah. and, and match them to projects. So we're doing the two bits rather than just producing technology. We're actively looking at uh, projects where the technology can be applied and deciding on who else you wanted to join you, you know, to create that little ecosystem because, you know, there's nobody in charge really. It's mm -hmm. kind of, it's the group leaderless task yeah. at the regular commissions board. Yeah. Um, you know, people lead, uh, it sounds a bit Chinese parliament, parliament, but, you know, the finance officer is a lady, you know, when it comes to business plans, she leads. Um, yeah. If it is some technology exotica, I tend to lead in yeah. interfacing with academia. Um, if it's the sort of business sales bit, it's my, one of my colleagues who does it. Yeah. If it's sort of engineering and safety and supply chain, another guy yeah. steps forward. So, you know, you, you play to your strengths, you play to everybody else's strengths, and that's been the joy of it. At what stage we grow beyond that is going to be, yes, I'm, yes. I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to that, actually, in yeah. some ways. It, it, it is, there's these different evolutionary stages I've seen where what works at a startup, when you get into the next stage, you struggle if you don't. Almost Sometimes you need to change some of the people because they need to have a different culture if they can't adjust. Um, I was interested, back to the earlier conversation we have, as we just come to the end of our time, uh, with a couple of tips from you, uh, you know, final, final leadership tips. But but also your attitude of appreciation of people. You, you don't, you don't um, soft soap people, but you do appreciate and thank them. And, and that's the counter to the one of the culture of fear where they're just criticized all the time. Do you want to say a bit about that and just end with a, a tip? Yeah. I think it comes back to something I said before about awareness. Uh, trying to lead by checklist is a mistake because context is everything. You know, the context changes. Uh, I think you just need to be aware that this sort of, I suppose, command and control leader, le model of leadership where there is a leader who does leadership to people and then stuff happens, the mission is achieved. I don't like that at all. Yeah. I think there is leadership going on in the middle. There is somebody who is nominally in charge, you, and the label leader sometimes applied to you. You then have the people you are attempting to lead and the task you're trying to achieve, and they all interact with each other, and you need to keep on top of all that. Yeah. And again, you come back to awareness. You know, has the context changed? And we're talking about a startup as you go from one phase to another. Yes, the context changes. Yeah, um, and you need to be aware of that, and you need to adjust things. So it's constant obs observation, you know, orientating, you know, deciding, acting. This sort of OODA loop. The yeah. classic C2 has to go on, in my view, if you're trying to lead something. Yeah. Uh, and if you want a book to read, yeah. yeah. What's, the, what's, what's your recommendation? 
right my my current recommendation yeah yeah uh, and it wouldn't be Plutarch's lives because that tends to be great men and checklists. And, you know, if I put a shiny helmet on like Patton, I'll be a shiny, you know, I'll be a great general. Um, but General Stanley McChrystal, you may yes. recall him. Teams? Yeah. I, I uh, love that book. Uh, leaders, I think he, he, A, has some rather interesting leaders, people like Koto Bushnell. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Zakawi, yes. you know, the zealots. Uh, Martin Luther King, Margaret Thatcher, and his deconstruction of Robert E. Lee, who certainly used yes. to be somebody I wrote about, read about. I just found that honest, and I think his message of you know, the context is everything. Yes. It's really important. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. And that is a lovely way to end. Context is everything. Gerald, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure people will value your wisdom and experience. We could have chatted for many many more um, minutes but um, I think it just captures the essence of some of your experience and thank you very much indeed. A pleasure Jonathan, a pleasure. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material go to my website jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.